everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. This is your host, Christopher Page. I'm in studio. Matt has called in sick. Uh, he works with kids and in a hospital, so it's actually amazing that he has not called in prior to this. <laughs> How he keeps healthy, I'll never know. So I pulled in. I, I pulled in a ringer on this one. This is we've been wanting to get Floyd back on here because he did something really fun this past summer, well, late fall, late summer, and I've been wanting to get him on here to talk about it. And we'll talk a little bit about space in 1999 and his experience at a recent convention themed all around it. So please welcome Floyd back to the podcast, sir. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be on again. It's awesome to have you again. Just want to thank you and any of our regular listeners know that Floyd has been really, really, really good about sending in some awesome emails. So, th- Floyd, thank you very much for uh, being that member, oh. uh, that listener that no. sends in the emails. No problem. I, mean, I always like to make my opinions known. So. <laughs> and uh, thanks for reading them. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I know we got a couple. You've, you've sent a couple here recently, but I'm going to hold off until I get uh, Matt back in the yeah. studio so he can hear them. Yeah, because I, I, I do lambast him a little bit. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, I, I do a little bit in one of them. <laughs> but you'll have, to, you'll have to listen for that one, though. We'll give no spoilers. Blab. Exactly. <laughs> Or if anyone else would ever like to send in an email, just like Floyd has done on uh, multiple occasions, you can send those to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. A couple of different ways to get to us, too, is uh, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash timeshifters, and you can post there. And we're also on Twitter. You can follow us at timeshifterspod and at movies at the mat. Those are the ways to contact us. Of course, email is probably going to be best if you really want to get yourself heard on the podcast and make sure we see it in time. We really would appreciate any feedback or comments on anything that we've discussed or any suggestions on things to discuss uh, down the road. I don't have any news or anything like that. Nothing's really come in. uh, We're recording this kind of on the the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, so it's been kind of a busy week. So I haven't had a lot of time to really head my nose to the the interwebs to really know what's been going on. So I think we will take a short break, though, so you can hear the commercial for another uh, fine podcast. And when we get back, we're going to the moon. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans? Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horrors Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. 
What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. All right, we're back. And yes, Floyd, Space 1999. We should probably talk a little history on the show uh, in case there's anyone out there that's not real familiar with it. Yeah. This was a television show that aired, I think it was 1975. 75 to 77. Yep. It ran for two seasons. Uh, It was produced by ITC Entertainment, which is a British company. Yep. Although it did star uh, two American actors. Martin Landau and Barbara Bain of... uh, Mission Impossible fame? That's right. That's right. They worked on Mission Impossible mm-hmm. before that. And I think um, they were married at yes. the time of producing Space 1999, weren't they? Yes, they were. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Space 1999 re- uh, revolves around a uh, moon base, Alpha, which mm-hmm. is a base on the moon, as you may, uh, yeah, <laughs> as that you would may make have sense. been able to determine. <laughs> and uh, I believe it, it also kind of... I don't know if the base was necessarily um, connected to it. There was also, I guess, what, a nuclear waste facility on the moon? Yeah, there are nuclear waste dumps uh, in the uh, in this particular world. Uh, there's a, a big nuclear waste problem, and the solution was to store it on the moon. Uh, unfortunately, things don't go well, and one of those uh, locations explodes. Actually, two of them do. Oh, two of them yeah, do. Yeah, there's, there's a... a what they call Disposal Area 1, which um, winds up exploding, and that tells them what's really happening, and that Disposal Area 2 contains something like like 400 times or so. Oh, that's a huge amount gotcha. uh, of waste that Area 1 did, and the same thing's going to happen. And and uh, uh, John Koenig, uh, played by Martin Landau, says to uh, Commissioner Simmons by Roy Dutrice, says, um, we're sitting on the biggest bomb man's ever made. And, of course, uh, this because it wouldn't have been a show without it, this bomb goes off yes. and sends the moon careening out of Earth's orbit mm-hmm. and in, flung out into deep space. Yes. Yep. Taking everyone on Moon Base Alpha with it. All 311 men and women. And the, the, that is the premise of the show. And then, of course, uh, through a series of... Incidents, accidents, wormholes, and who knows what else, the moon finds itself uh, coming in contact with all kinds of interesting uh, creatures and predicaments mm-hmm. in the in right. space. Yeah, phenomenon and, uh, yeah, all kinds of interesting things. Exactly. So what do you know about Space 1999? Now, I think we've talked about this briefly maybe once a long, long time ago on, like, uh, some previous version of the podcast. This was actually originally planned to be a sequel to the British show UFO, mm-hmm. right? Yes, it was. Yes, and uh, Jerry Anderson decided uh, not to do that, but actually to make another standalone series. I think you can kind of see, if you watch the show, if, you, if you're familiar with UFO... And then you watch a little bit of Space 1999. I'm not going to say that it's an obvious connection, but it's not too far flung, I think. For me, anyway, I could see where one might have sprouted from another. There's actually a uh, little holdover from uh, UFO in the the title sequence of Space 1999. And that's when, because in uh, UFO, it was called Moon City. 
And so in the title sequence, it always says, Moon City Costumes created by, and I can't remember the name of the designer that created the uniforms. But that, that was That's what it said. So it didn't say Moon Base Alpha. It said Moon City. <laughs> hmm. So I'm trying to think. Yeah. Back in UFO, I don't think it, I think it was just Moon Base. I don't think it was Moon okay. City. It was just Moon Base. Well, but maybe, I do re- yeah, I, I don't know if they were going to call it, but I don't that reading things they said that was a uh, that was a holdover from when it was going to be a sequel oh interesting okay now the some of the stories you've been a fan of the show i've kind of dipped in and out of it over the years i remember watching it as a kid somewhat and then i've revisited some episodes both uh both season one and season two a little here and there and there are a few instances where I think, well, actually quite a lot, <laughs> where I think the story isn't so great. But I'll say this for this series, the production design oh, yeah. is amazing. I think maybe that's why this show has kind of hung on for so many people and has this sort of um, cult status or sort of love by so many is that it's just the production design is just Unbelievable for a show oh. that I, I guess when it began it had a decent enough budget. They oh, could, yeah, they could really pull out all the stops. Yeah, it, it was the most expensive sh- uh, TV show produced at the time. Oh, okay, and it would probably in, until like uh, Battlestar Galactica took that mantle over in a few years. Yeah. Uh, a few years down the road. Mm-hmm. I believe it was about a million dollars an episode. Holy cow! Yeah, so that was a lot of money. <laughs> figure mid seventies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, they had um, they, they, well if. They've had they had of course the big sets like main mission mm-hmm. was was the uh, command center which later yeah I remember year. that that I remember the their main mission I guess the bridge whatever you want to call it was a, an expansive room oh, yeah. two two levels yeah it had a balcony uh, with yeah. moving walls and even moving platforms was it wasn't a Koenig's desk you could actually slide the wall and his whole office yeah. kind of yeah, moved out these, into the room well no it wasn't quite like that it was uh, oh, there okay. were there was there was big double doors that opened up. Mm-hmm. So he'd be on the other side of it, he'd hit a button, these big double doors would open up, and he could then see in the main mission. Now, what you might be thinking of is that uh, the computer desk David Con- that David Connor sat at could rotate. Ah, maybe that's what so I'm that, thinking that of. That may be what you're thinking of. But yeah, yeah it, was, cool. it, was, it was the big sets. It was, uh, of course, the special effects. The special effects were outstanding. I mean, even today, they hold up really well, even under the scrutiny of, of uh, remastered Blu-ray. They hold really? up, they hold up really well, and uh, Brian Johnson uh, did the special effects. Uh, he started he did he helped with uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey, and he also did the special effects for Alien and Empire Strikes Back. And uh, I should have I should have been prepared and I should have looked up what else he's done since then. But those are the ones I know about. <laughs> well, those are pretty you know pretty major things and, yeah, and you know yes <laughs> oh absolutely and all known for some really great production values so i mean this guy cut his teeth maybe on space 1999 but you can see where the talent came from oh yeah yeah i, th- I think the i think as a as a kid the uh the special effects and the fact that hey there's something science fiction on tv now mm-hmm. <laughs> in the 70s because there wasn't yeah anything yes yeah, star trek had been off the air yeah. for well nearly a decade at yeah. that point mm-hmm. And so here, here was a uh, a serious science fiction series, and uh, but it, what drew me in was that well, it was science fiction, and I loved the Eagles, which was the spacecraft. And yes, uh, 
and one of the most iconic spacecraft of any TV series. Yeah, no matter what, even if you saw this show once or twice, you saw the Eagles, and the Eagles will stick with you. Yeah. Because you, they are just amazing. You, you you may not remember where you saw them. You may have thought <laughs> you saw them on some documentary. I mean, that's how good <laughs> yeah. these things are. Mm-hmm. They truly look like spacecraft. Yeah, they, they look like something that could be built today. And used. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Uh, they had the forward control and then the rear engines and then the interior the interior portion was a ex- an exchangeable mm-hmm. uh pod i yes. guess you would call it yep. with uh, effectively just girder framework connecting mm-hmm. the two yeah that was brilliant what a great idea and even even the uh the command and and those components can be separated the command module could be separated uh from the craft and the engines themselves could be separated from the craft you know, I actually remember the toy line that you could do that. You could actually yeah. pull all the pieces apart, <laughs> put them together to create your own little uh, eagle toys. And uh, I remember uh, I was actually watching a video, or watching a video, yeah, watching a video where these two guys were discussing the eagle, and they knew nothing about, knew very little about the show and the craft itself. And they were speculating, and they're talking about what's the various things could do like, Oh, well, this looks like it could do this. This looks like it's interchangeable. This looks like this. And they nailed it for the most part mm-hmm. about what the spacecraft could do and what, how it was designed. And I thought that was a great Testament to how well uh, Brian Johnson and his team thought this through of uh, making this spacecraft. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you would, you know, if some reason they decided to do, there's always been talk about kind of, rebooting or continuing or you know, doing a uh, reviving the series if you would do that if you would make a space 29.99 or something like that the eagle would not have to be updated no you could take that exact design and use it today and it would look perfectly oh yeah fine. I, I mean, I, that's how good those were yeah i've, I've seen some uh some renderings about uh updating a little bit like maybe, maybe making a little a little sleeker but mm. it, it always retains the design. So I mean, you got right. the main module, you got the landing pods, you, you got the whole design. So I've seen some where the landing pods are a little sleeker. Mm-hmm. But uh, I made the command modules a little bit. I saw one that was great. It was a uh, the command module was all uh, open, so you had just a big like canopy. It had the same shape and everything, but but instead of enclosed like it is, it was all open. And, and it was really cool. It was really cool. And, what, I, what I really liked about the uh, the command module is it looked like, it looked very similar to something that um, you'd have on like a um, the current uh, moon uh, or space orbiters. Mm, yeah. Or uh, re-entry uh, uh, ships from, you know, like the Apollo missions. That's oh, what it reminded yeah. me of. Mm-hmm. The, the only disparity with the command module was, well, and the passenger module as well, was that there was a little difference between the model and the sets. <laughs> mm. Unfortunately. Because the... Uh, uh, where you, where the um, pilot sat on the set was way too low for where the windows were in the command module. Oh, of course, and I, and I yeah. imagine there's probably occasions where the command module uh, suddenly grew in size depending on this what the, how the scenes of the story needed to play out, yeah, <laughs> or something. That always yeah. happens, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, so uh, and Brian Johnson wanted to uh, wanted to. His idea was is that the pilots were set up higher than what they do, but when they, when they when they built the sets, well, they're down in sunk into the floor. So instead right. of stepping up into the seats, they stepped down in the seats. <laughs> so, 
Oh well, pretty minor. It's yeah. not anything I oh, actually no. really even picked up or noticed. But now, now that you mention it, now I'm never going to not see that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you'd mentioned the stories, and actually, when I was younger, it was the special effects. I was always disappointed when there was an episode without any eagles. You know, right, when sure. I was younger. But then as I got older, I really started appreciating the stories, especially in the first season more. Hmm. Because those are really some good stories in the first season. Now, you may be thinking of the second season where a lot of the stories were kind of, ugh, you know, mm. not so I just good. remember, I remember what I've, like I said, I was, I've been kind of dipped back and forth into it over the years. And I, one of the things that struck me, even in the first season, that there was a lot of episodes and it seemed like they were almost, either yeah, I'm watching them out of order or they were just continuously, something happened and this was horrible and this and disaster. And then, Ah, uh, that didn't really happen because uh, that was no, that, that was a fantasy. That was some superior being's once. illusion. Uh, that happened. If once. you say so, it did. It did. <laughs> it was an episode called War Games, and okay. uh, and the and moon, the moon base was under attack. It was relatively. It was almost destroyed. Uh, they had to leave. They were going to try to go to the planet and try to destroy them, and they decided to go back and die on moon on moon base Alpha. Mm-hmm. And then there's this ripple effect, and the aliens just showed them that what could happen. So that's the only one where it didn't really happen. Okay. Well, maybe it didn't happen. It just I remember yeah. seeing a lot of the same themes kind of replayed from episode to episode, where it was just a lot of disaster, and then the, the solution ended up being something very simple or out of control of the moon base folks. It yeah. just, you know, the, whatever they came across decided not to kill it in was, the end. Yeah. Was, I think what, I think what you're, what you're trying to get to is that there were episodes where there was no expl- explanation. Yes. And quite a end. few of them. Maybe yeah. that was just and, it. Yeah. And uh, really, I mean, at first when I was like, when I was younger, I thought, Oh gosh, I don't like that. There's no explanation that just happened to him. But then when I got older, I really appreciated that because I kind of like that, that there isn't always an explanation. Things would happen to them. They had no idea why it happened. There was no nice, tidy answer at the end of it. I mean, they really, you really felt like they were out there, humans at the mercy of the universe. Hmm. Yeah, they couldn't couldn't control anything. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if it's the kind of thing, if you watch it week to week, maybe it's not as noticeable. But if you're kind of like binging it, it just maybe it just kind of stands out more, and that's because that's what I was doing. I was literally watching episode to episode within a few several days of each other, and maybe just seeing it all pushed together like that. It just went, oh, really? This again? Or maybe if I had seven days in between, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't uh, have. It wouldn't have struck out so much. It it, it could have the uh, uh, could give you the feeling that well, they don't know how to end this episode, so yeah. let's just. Uh, throw in some strange yeah. ending. So, yep, exactly. Yeah. It, it just felt like a whole lot of uh, writers painting themselves into a corner over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but the first season was very metaphysical. Yes. Yeah, very metaphysical. And uh, where the second season was all was the action adventure. Right, so, yes, yes. So, so you, you had, you had the, a lot of the, uh, the nice little, uh, you know, the gang, the little humorous thing at the end, you know, and <clears throat> it was, was fine. And and there were there were, there were some really good episodes in the second season, you know. If if you take the beginning of the second season, the end of the second season, and leave out the middle, you've got a really good series. 
<laughs> so what was it that, that brought along the retooling between the seasons? Was it just a matter of, of ratings? I get this. The first season did okay or well enough that they, they gave it a second <laughs> season, but they needed to change the things to try to make it more of a, an action uh, series? Uh, the American office of ITC. Ah, <laughs> the Americans messed it up again. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> exactly what happened. <laughs> yes, yeah. They 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 didn't feel that the way it was it really appealed to to the American audience, and so they wanted to make it more action adventure. So they brought in Fred Freiberger to be the producer, mm, and he watched a couple name. episodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He did last season of Star Trek, last season of Wild Wild West, and um, yeah, and. Uh, he came in and uh, and he did some good things for the show. I mean, he kind of made it uh, made the characters a little lighter, if you will, mm-hmm. a little more human. So that that was a good thing. And he injected some humor into it, which was good. Uh, but he also made it a whole lot more campy. Mm. And and there was uh, there was like a uh, the alien resident Maya, who was a shapeshifter. Uh, she was introduced in the first se- first episode of the second season, mm-hmm. and uh, all of a sudden, every single episode, they had to rely on her shape shifting ability to save them. Right? <laughs> you know what did they do without her? Uh, although there were there was one episode that was written by uh, a, a writer named Johnny Byrne, who wrote several of the first season episodes, and he wanted to write an episode to where she didn't transform at all. And and it was one of the best episodes, if not the best, of the second season. You should probably mention, too, that that character was played by Catherine Schell, which is a name that uh, people may recognize from uh, a lot of um, British film and, and, and television work. And uh, probably even, um, I want to say, she was she in any of the Hammer films? Maybe not. Yeah, she was in a Hammer film or yeah. two. I used she was at least in Moon of... Zero, too. Yes, yes, yes. That was it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um they made some uh significant changes. Uh main mission was gone. Yeah, they lost the really cool big mm-hmm. set, didn't they? They really scaled it down. At the, at the command center and um the story they came out was that they decided it was the alphas decided it was safer to have an underground command center. And having main mission, you know, at the top. It was at the highest point of Moon Base Alpha. Um main mission was gotcha so, so that, you know that makes sense and it did give a little more claustrophobic feel and, and you know, kind of intimate feel so professor bergman was gone yeah and i i missed him when it, yeah. i was watching and when they when i jumped into season two and uh barry morse oh or is that who yeah. you're talking about yeah, barry morse. yeah yeah victor bergman yeah uh, barry yeah. morse disappeared he was a character i really liked from yeah. that first season oh, yeah. he was kind of the, the the medical or the science officer fans were mad <laughs> Hmm? Fans were mad. Yeah, he he was a sci- yeah. he, he was basically a science officer and kind of the grandfather of uh, of the base. And uh, so he was gone. Uh, Paul Morrow, played by Prentice Hancock, was gone, and um, and uh, David Connor, the computer expert, played by Clifton Jones, was gone. And no explanation why all of a sudden these these characters who were loved, uh, well, at least Professor Bergman, um, played by Barry Morris, was gone. None whatsoever. And, yeah, they uh, definitely trimmed it down. I wonder, too, I mean, another thing, uh, what's his name, Friedberger was known for was kind of what, as he would think of it, kind of trimming the fat, I guess. 
and yeah. bringing things down and bringing the budget down. So I, must, I kind of assumed that you know the the scaling down of the uh, main mission or calling the command center was probably them moving to a smaller studio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yep. yeah, and so they get rid of a lot of these peripheral characters and kind of have mm-hmm. just this real tight knit. You only need four or five people, so they kept Landau and they kept Barbara Bain, and then they they kept Nick Tate and uh, oh, what was it, uh, Tony Anholt? Yeah, he well he 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 joined the cast. He was not in the first season. Oh, he was not in the first season. Yeah. Okay, so that yeah. was an addition, but they yeah. chopped off about three or four other people yeah. in order to make room for well, him. Freiberger wanted to get rid of Martin Bain, uh, Martin uh, Martin Bain. <laughs> Martin Bain. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. He wanted them to get to go too, and and I really think, uh, Gary Jerry Anderson said uh, no. <laughs> wow, and, I and can kind of see Barbara Bain because she's probably the for me personally, she's like the weakest link in the, in the chain. But well, I mean. Yeah, but she had some. You know, people complained about her uh, acting in the mm-hmm. first few episodes. But I mean, she had some really outstanding episodes in the first season. I think people, when they watched the first couple episodes, said, "Oh, well, she's the you know, wooden actress. You know, she can't act." And but but later on, and and um, she she had some really outstanding episodes in the second season. She got to lighten up a bit, have a little more fun with it. But uh, now. And uh, Nick Tate wasn't going to come back either. They weren't going to bring him back. Wow. Yeah. And but then there there was a huge fan uh, writing campaign or something, and fans wanted him back. He was like the oh, favorite. Yeah, I would think he so. Was like favorite I mean, character of any. Uh, what would you, what would you have had left? I mean, if you <laughs> want to bring in the fans, if you want a younger audience, you're not going to get it with Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. Yeah. He was kind of like the the young. Uh, Sort of the he was the the Jim Kirk or the or the Will Riker. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> Will Riker. That's a great that's a great analogy right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Kind and, of, uh, you know the hotshot pilot yeah. and the the cool guy and yeah. Well, you know, it, it loses temper every once in a while. Yeah, sure. And uh, but this was Fred Fiber's excuse. He said, "No one would ever notice that those characters are gone." Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That's why he actually said that. I've I've heard that from many sources, including wow. the the people who were in the show. Said that's what he said. No one would notice that these characters. No one noticed that Bergman's gone or you know, Paul Morrow's gone or any of them. Or no one, no one, no, the fans would not notice that they were gone. Hmm. It's well, like, I know as, as a away. fan, that's a that's a that's an insult. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I is. definitely. I definitely noticed that a few people disappear, particularly oh, yeah. Barry Morris there. I I really liked his character. I liked him. Yep. And he was kind of like the person – well, you know, you were saying that um, they gave um, – oh, I can't think of her name uh, – Shell's character, the shapeshifter, uh, Maya. Yeah. Maya, yeah. They kept they kept giving her the okay. We need a solution. Ah, Maya does this. Okay, yeah. great. Well, I think he was sort of the oh, we need a solution. Ah. I've got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> so he was yep. the get out of free jail card for the yeah, first yeah. season and he was, he was, when they he was, needed one. Yeah, he yeah he was the one who could, who had you know a theory or something and and an idea how to get out of something. I was, uh, um, yeah, in the first season he was uh, um, he he was the the calming factor. He was the he was the one that Koenig would rely on for uh, advice and. Uh, 
And even though technically Paul Morrow was a second command, I mean, Cody really relied on on, on Bergman mm-hmm. uh, for, for, a, for that sounding board or oh, for a little insight on something. Yep. There's almost even uh, a little bit of a Mr. Spock character. Because yeah, oh, yeah. no matter what it was that was happening, he found it fascinating oh, that yeah. it was happening. And he <laughs> yeah. wanted to know more. Yeah, I, I really liked him. And so I was sorry to see him go. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was too. And uh, I also missed the uh, of the music of the first season. Mm-hmm. You know, especially that, that the, the theme. Yeah, sure. It's, the way it started off, it started off very majestic and and you know with the drums and everything and the build up and i mean you're just thinking okay i want to see something spectacular here and mm-hmm. is, is what it led up to and then and then l- the little cuts of this episode which of course inspired yeah uh uh was it roger moore not roger moore <laughs> he's the actor <laughs> the guy did battlestar galactica um <laughs> On uh, Ronald the Moore, you talking Ronald about Ronald Moore? Yes, Ronald Moore. Thank yeah. you. Yes, Ronald Moore. I got the R in the Moore. Uh, so that inspired him to do the same thing in the opening sequence for Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that's one of the things I loved from the first season. The opening credits of the first season was the you got those little flash cuts yeah. of scenes of the episode that you're getting ready to watch. And I thought that that was a great way to kind of tease that episode. Didn't they actually have a little bit kind of like a? Uh, a teaser didn't the uh, the show had kind of the story okay. start they had a, like a you know a few minute teaser at the beginning to set things up and then it would go into the uh yeah. the the yeah. intro and then it would give you all these little flash cuts yeah. of what was going to happen mm-hmm. and so you got these yeah. little hints about what you know mm-hmm. was going to transpire after you know after oh they came across this alien here comes a theme and all oh, then you see all these, these explosions and you're like ah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can't wait to watch this episode exactly <laughs> And uh, that—that's when I'd say, "Oh, they didn't show any eagles. Aren't there going to be any eagles in this episode?" But I still watch oh, it anyway. I still, still watch it anyway. I got to say, it's probably one of the most uh, impactful experience I ever had watching an episode was I was at my grandma's, and it was late at night. They were showing—I uh, can't—it it was always in syndication, so I can't remember if this was during the first run or if it was, you know, when this was being repeated. But uh, it was late at night. She got off the bed. So I'm in the living room. I think there's a nightlight on. That's it. And it's the episode Space Brain, uh, which is a story of uh, uh, the moon encountering this gigantic intelligence in space that controls all kinds of planets. And uh, and they're on a direct collision course for it. And it starts off by, you know, a rather serene scene. They're doing jigsaw puzzles. And then then uh, all of a sudden all these hieroglyphics start appearing on the screen. So I have no idea what's trying to communicate with them. And I remember feeling that thinking, here I am in, in there in the dark and all this is going on. And I really felt like I was out in space with hmm. these people. I mean, that, that that's how well that they developed that atmosphere. You know, that I've really felt like I was out, in, out lost in space with these, with these people. And, uh, and uh, it turned out to be what they call the uh, the uh, soap suds episode because they had this foam <laughs> that uh, that was uh, antibodies, supposed to be depicting antibodies that could crush things and uh, getting into the base. So oh, and they, t- okay. they tell a, they tell a funny story where uh, where the director kept calling for more foam, more foam, and uh, and he wound up uh, slipping on the set <laughs> and going down underneath the foam. <laughs> he oh, nice! Into the foam, yeah. 
Well, you know what? That might be a good a segue as any to start talking about this convention you oh, went yeah. to because you got a chance to kind of get some of the real true behind mm-hmm. the scenes from right from yeah. some of the people <laughs> that were there. So what was this thing called? Was this what Moonbase Alpha? Was that what they called it? Or Alpha it... Twenty Seventeen. Alpha Twenty Seventeen. Yeah. Excellent. And this was on the East Coast somewhere, wasn't it? New York? Or uh, New Jersey? Obviously twenty seventeen. In uh, New Jersey. Persephone, New Jersey. Which is yeah. real close to New York. The closest to New York I've ever been. <laughs> okay, good. Gotcha. And I, I wound up driving it, which is about a ten hour drive. Mm-hmm. And uh and but I so I was I was I was going to break it up into two days driving. I figured I'll you know I'll never do, I've never done a ten hour drive by myself. But I think I was so stoked to get to the convention that I just drove it straight. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was. I mean, it was a fantastic experience. I've been waiting forty years <laughs> to uh, yeah to yeah, do I, something like that. Yeah, I should say this show doesn't garner much in the way of its own conventions. Sometimes it kind of bleeds into some other sci-fi conventions. Um, yeah. Maybe someone they'll be occasional. They'll have a celebrity a, 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 on the guest list at some, even a just any whatever sci-fi or comic book you know convention. But this was just a full-fledged, just yep. focused completely around. Uh, space 1999 yes. which doesn't happen very often nope uh, they had they had probably you know as many people as they could get that would show from mm-hmm. the uh from the show what uh, who were some of the guests at this thing uh nick tate was there mm-hmm. played alan carter um uh, prentice hancock who played uh, paul morrow in the first season of uh, the second command of alpha anton phillips who played dr uh, matthias in the first season and like one or two episodes of the second season and so those are the, those are the three big ones. Uh, mm-hmm. then, uh, Catherine Shaw joined via Skype on Sunday. Oh, very like, cool! And Brian Johnson did did as well. He joined via Skype on uh, Sunday, as well as uh, Christopher Penifold, who was a uh, the script consultant in the first season. Ah, very cool! So even though they couldn't be there, they actually they skyped in. And he's actually uh, Chris Penifold is actually working on a new uh, series. And with a couple of the guys who were at the convention. Oh, cool. And I need to look it up because I can't remember the name of it. But they're, they're trying to sell it to uh, – they got a pilot ready, and they're trying to uh, get a network interested in it. And it sounds really good, but I can't remember the name of it, so I want to look that up. All right, all right. Now, when they were Skyping in, were they uh, – did they just have, like, prepared uh, things, or were, were no. they actually taking questions from taking audience? Questions. They were taking questions. Nice. Oh, yeah. that's very cool. And here was this, the really cool thing about the people asking questions. Not a single person said, well, you remember an episode, whatever. Dude. Why did you do this? <laughs> oh, yes. No one asked questions like that. They asked questions like, what are you doing today? What was your favorite things about the show? You know, tell us some stories. And uh, one of the coolest things that uh, was when, uh, when Catherine uh, Shell was Skyping in. Uh, we could see her, but she couldn't see us. Mm-hmm. And Nick Tate was in the audience. And uh, so the microphone was given to him, and he said, Catherine. Dear Catherine, and she has this confused look on her face. He says, it's Nick Tate, and her face just lit up like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. And they just start talking about their time on the show and you know, how good time they had together and everything. And it was so cool just, you know, these, these two people haven't seen each other in a long time who worked together 40 years ago just reminiscing right. uh, about, uh, about what, uh, what they had done. Oh, and, that's very cool. And when, uh, 
when Brian Johnson was on there, uh, Nick was in the audience as well, and he said that uh, he suggested that they should that they should work together to do a TV special on the special effects of Space 1999. Oh, absolutely! I would and love how, to see something. And how? Like that. Uh, oh, yeah. How? And he said, you know, we could show clips, and then he could Brian could explain how they did it because it's amazing. He, you know, mm-hmm. someone asked him, how'd you do something? And he said, oh, yeah, we just did this, this. It was easy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, wow, we never thought about doing that. You know, like putting plastic over something and, you know, and, you know and, or, you know, just, I mean, just, just amazing. You know, we, we, and we've discussed many times about differences between uh, practical effects and models and, uh, and CGI. And so, of course, he right. got the question, which do you prefer? Models or CGI, and he he said, "Well, a mixture of both is is what his preference is." Mm-hmm. But it it, it was such a, such a treat just uh, talking with these people. I knew, and there's about a hundred people there a day, and so had easy access uh, to the stars, and uh, and just you know, and I, I rode the elevator uh, down. I think it was on Sunday down with Nick. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was that that was great. That was one of the things I was going to ask you about how the attendance. So you said you had about a, a hundred or so people a day yeah. mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the weekend. I think you know, all things considered, I think that's a pretty good turnout. Oh, for yeah, that. yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it didn't it did not feel like oh, there's nobody here. You know, I mean, it, right. It, and and they we did a uh, we had a uh, on Saturday we had a dinner theater, and it was a mystery. It was more like a mystery dinner uh, theater where it was a mystery. And uh, mm-hmm. so we each played a role. I got to play Bill Frazier, who was uh, who was going to be the chief eagle pilot for the second season until Nick Tate came back. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and so, so when it became my turn to introduce myself, I said, "I said I'm Bill Frazier. I was the chief chief eagle pilot for like one episode." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're just trying to solve this mystery. It's one of those things where you had a certain line to say or a certain thing to do, and then then. Uh, and you could be asked questions. So this guy went around asking questions like, "What did you see?" or you know things like that. And then you were given lines of what what you saw. And it, it was a lot of fun. And it was actually uh, the guy who put on the show, or who the guy who really spearheaded the show and his wife. They used to run a, a dinner theater like that, a Mister. Oh, dinner okay. Theater. So so they were obviously well versed at doing that. Yeah, stick with what you know, huh? Yeah, exactly. And and it was just so cool uh, with that. And just hearing the stories mm-hmm. from the stars, not only of space nineteen nine, space nineteen ninety nine, but uh, but what they're doing now. And Nick Tate is fascinating. I got to tell you, uh, he is. Uh, um, he was just recently on an episode of The Blacklist. Oh, was he? Yeah, and still he, acting and everything. Yeah, good. yeah, and uh, and um, he was, of course, on a few Star Trek episodes. One for. Uh, uh, Next Generation and the one on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in an episode of Lost, uh, and uh, and I, and he's also in an episode. He played someone's father in some uh, series in Canada. And so, I'm sorry, in Lost series, in the what? series they were going to write. They were so impressed with him in, in Canada. Okay, there's some TV series up, in Canada. So- Oh, oh in, in, a TV, in a TV series in Canada. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, you're just every now and again you kind of break up and disappear oh. for me there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's my maybe it's my bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
in several days where he's just guest starred, they've been so impressed by him, they wanted to offer him a reoccurring part. Oh, nice. And uh, he, um, for loss, they wanted to, but he would have to move to Florida, I mean, move to Hawaii. And he has, he suffers from skin cancer. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> so, obviously, he couldn't be, he, Hawaii would not be a good place for him to live. <laughs> right, no. So, so he had to turn that down. A little too much sun. So it's uh, that's really cool. That, uh, yeah, but I think it's really fascinating that that he's so well liked in every role he does that that um, a lot of times he's gotten offered um, uh, that they hey we want to write your character in we loved your we loved it we got to write write your character in so. Mm-hmm. So what other activities did they have at the convention, and particularly with the uh, with the celebs? Was most of the celebrity stuff just the the Q and A? Yeah. Or yeah, all, I'm sure they did the the get your picture and get your autograph oh, yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They did the uh, autograph sessions and uh, and picture sessions. And I got uh, I got an uh, autograph from Nick Tate back a couple years ago from a convention called Wonderfest down in Louisville. Oh, sure. Which is a plastic modeling convention. Yeah, which is still going on. Actually, oh, yeah. I've been rec- yeah. Yeah, it's been recommended that I go down and check that out one of these days. You should. You'd love. It. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had no idea what this what it was about. All I knew was Nick Tate was going to be there, and I wanted to meet him. That's all I knew. That's all I cared about. And huh. so I went down there a couple years ago, and then I learned it's a plastic modeling convention. Oh, this will be so cool! And it was amazing. And I yeah. got to meet uh, fellow Space nineteen ninety nine fans. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, and that's also where I picked up my twenty two inch model of the Eagle. Oh, very good. Oh, 22 inch. That would yeah. be nice. Oh, it is. Trust me. It is. Yeah. And uh, a company called Round Two makes these. Mm-hmm. And you can get one that you build or one that's already built, which is rather on the pricey side. Sure. <laughs> but uh, so I got the one that I built myself. What was so cool is that almost everyone you saw walking around with something under their arm, it was an eagle. <laughs> I mean, there were so many people walked and purchased this kit. And right. they were the, and they were there as well. They had a, a booth there as well, and uh, so that's where I started. The first time I met Nick Tate, and then at Alpha 2017, I got autograph from uh, Anton Phillips and um, Prentice Hancock. I got my mm-hmm. picture taken with him. So that was yeah, cool. And there was a couple other uh, celebrities there who'd been on the show. Uh, one, um, and her name escapes me. I can't believe this. Her name escapes me. Uh, but she was a stand-in for Barbara Bain. And I'm not, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with what stand-ins do for stars on TV shows. Well, they just that's exactly it. They 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 stand in if they don't actually need to be for someone to see their face if they aren't available for reshoots or something that oh. they use a stand-in unless or unless you're talking like a stunt double. No, no. Uh they might use them for for that purpose. I mean, uh for, you know, not seeing their face like maybe well, you know, especially if they're playing a uh, like a for a reshoot, like you said. But uh, what they were telling us was that the stand-ins were there for to set up lighting. So you didn't oh. want the uh, you didn't want to waste the, the stars' star. time. Exactly. So she would uh, be a stand-in for Barbara Bain. Uh, she was also Farrah Fawcett's stand-in on her on the movie Saturn. Um, 
Oh, was it Saturn Five? Yeah, yeah, I think it's what it was. Saturn Five. Saturn and a number. I don't know. I just watched it actually, Saturn like like a Saturn couple 3. weeks ago. Saturn, Saturn Three, 5 maybe. Saturn Rocket. Saturn Five is a rocket. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Saturn Three. That's what it was. Yeah, with uh, Kurt Russell, I think. Or Kurt uh, no, Douglas. no. Yeah, Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Yeah, Kirk Douglas. Yeah, definitely not Kurt Russell. Kurt Douglas. No. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a very different movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So she was a stand-in uh, um, for for Farrah Fawcett and several others as, as Sybil Danning. Uh, I forget which what movie it was, but uh, so she was there. So that was kind of cool. And then one of the background characters in the second season, uh, she was there. So, and then they, they did their Q and A session together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the the other guys they they had their own, but they they did theirs together. But what was what was great is was great is that that uh, you got to see that. Uh, even though they were not as well known as the other three guys, they still got, you know, a lot of people came up to them. And, I mean, you only saw them talking to somebody. Well, you know what's probably interesting? People would c- probably naturally kind of just ignore that, oh, whatever, you were a stand-in or you are just some background character. But, but think about it, though. That's exactly probably how people thought about them when they were on the set. So if you want real stories about what oh, things yeah. were going on – Ask the people that yeah. no one pays any attention to. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they're all back there listening to everything. They see everything. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I just finished watching a, a episode of Supergirl where a character on it said, it's amazing what you can hear when you're invisible. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they had some uh, really good stories and uh, – and, uh, but it was, I mean, it was, and actually, uh, I can't remember her name, the, the lady who was a stand in, uh, but, um, and I'm friends with her on Facebook. Isn't that terrible? I can't remember. Her oh, name. awful. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, she Su- doesn't listen Susan, to this. Susan Peterson, I think is her name. Okay. Uh, but uh, so I actually, I actually met her, met her and then the other lady first. And so I, and so this is the question I asked the people, why do you think that? Forty years later, we're having this convention. What makes Space 1999 still be going on this long? We're still having mm-hmm. a convention. And she said, "I have no idea." Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, honestly, that would probably be the response of most people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and but uh, but Prentice Hancock, I think, really nailed it uh, when he said that why people love the show and they still love it today, 40 years later. And that is, he said, he said, we were portraying real people in these circumstances, dealing with these unbelievable circumstances, overcoming them of any TV, of any science fiction series depicted where they are solely in space. This is probably one of the few where you think, where you get the feeling these are real people. These are people who, because it was in 1999, you know, so these are, you know, people I can know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and so it, it gave it a sense of, uh, a real sense of, uh, believability, uh, from, from that standpoint. Now, the science of it, well, you know, the moon being blasted off orbit and them encountering, uh, planets and planets every once in a while and, you know, and habitable planets every once in a while on this wandering moon. Well, 
you got to suspend belief. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little yeah. bit. And so, so if you're really focused on the stories, uh, then you could kind of look past that. And every fan will, will tell you, you know, you just got to kind of set that aside. Yeah. You know, they, you know, the science side, we'll call it the MacGuffin. It's just, it was just the way to tell these stories. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that's not uncommon with science fiction. Yeah, you know, it's just that is the kind of thing you, you just have to sometimes you have to ignore in order for the for the for the bigger picture, I guess, would be the way to put it. Yeah. The uh, also at the convention, back to the convention, uh, they had a, a model room. And so you they actually had props and models from the series. Yeah, I was going to ask you if any original props or yep. anything still existed. Yes, they do. Oh, and nice because uh, the studio didn't destroy them. Really, but, oh, that's surprising, especially for you know back in that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, they uh, uh, the forty four inch model of the eagle that wasn't there. Uh, I'm not sure who owns it now, but it survived uh, the original one, and uh, has it's had to have been. Uh, there's actually a, a YouTube video where the guy who bought it shows how he restored it. Oh, nice! And but they they had the, uh, um, I think it was the uh, oh the eleven inch uh, eagle model. Oh, okay. And they had uh, a working comlock. That was the one where oh, if nice. you watch if you watch the show, you see someone's face on the screen. Oh, very cool! Well, that was well before the time of wireless stuff. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Right. So they had to have a, a video cable feeding uh, the 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 picture. And so the actor had to hold this real comlock in a way where you couldn't see the cable, mm-hmm. and so so they had they had that one there that was, and that was that was really cool, and uh, then they had all kinds of other models too. I got to hold a forty-four inch eagle, not the one used in the series, but an, another one, and that thing was heavy. It weighs forty pounds. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, the original was made of brass tubing and wood and plastic. <laughs> Holy cow! That has to weigh a ton. Yeah, and and they used they used back then they had they had freon canisters they used to simulate rocket exhaust, mm-hmm. not realizing it was bad for the ozone. <laughs> <laughs> so we can blame space nineteen ninety nine for yeah, the yeah. global and, uh, warming and yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there were some vendors there, of course, uh, not very many, but a few. Um, mm-hmm. I got I picked up a a book. Uh, there's actually a, a company still publishing original science, r- original stories uh, called Prowess Media. And so they're still publishing original stories for the series. Oh, nice. I didn't realize that. That's cool. And uh, and, and this book I picked up is called The Forsaken, and it tells the story of why Paul Morrow left uh, Alpha, why he's no longer on the series in the second – or on Moonbase Alpha in the second series. Oh, interesting. So they actually gave him an exit story of some yeah. kind. Yeah, and uh, and Prentice Hancock did the forward and said that he really appreciated the story because he felt it was something that his character would have done. Yeah, cool. So I'm not going to get anything away about that story because, you know, you should no, go. people should go sit, seek it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, read it. Read it. The only downside, since these books are from a small publisher, they're about $20 a piece. So, uh, well. Yeah. But I, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those print-on-demand services right, so gotcha. order it, mm-hmm. then they print it but yeah. but i mean every once in a while i'll get one and there's like a whole series of books and uh so they, they had they had those and uh and 
they had they had one guy who was selling. He's a machinist, and so he makes uh, he makes uh, the engine the uh, aluminum engine bells for the twenty two inch model Eagle model. Nice. So you can replace the plastic ones with actual turned aluminum. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, and they look a little really bit more good. realism. Yeah, I bet you it'll yeah. look really nice. Better than any oh, yeah. kind of paint or anything you could do. There. Oh, yeah. nice and shiny and. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, these, uh, the other models that are on display, these model makers are just amazing, and and companies are still producing kits. And uh, there's a company, uh, I forget the name of, of them right now, but uh, but they're producing. Uh, Kind of dioramas of of uh, different episodes with the eagles. Oh, interesting! Like they they wanted the hang of the eagle hanger, one right. eagle hanger, and yeah, and and, and they, they they could t- it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's I mean, it was it was wild. just such a delight to it was such a delight to meet all these fans. I uh, mm-hmm. I met a, I hung out from with a guy from England, right? Uh, during the convention, I met a lady from Germany. And, wow! Uh, so it really was an international. We had people yeah. coming in oh, yeah. from all over. That's yeah. fantastic. And uh, it was uh, it was such it was so fun just to talk space nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, that had to have been just so much fun. I mean, because like I said, you know the uh, the group of fandom for this show is not as big as something from like Star Wars or oh, Star no, Trek no. or anything no. like that, or even probably Battlestar Galactica. No. It's probably got a little bit bigger of a fan base. And so there's an opportunity like this to really get around, you know, your tribe, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And be able to talk like that and, and, and share stories of how you discovered it or episodes that you really liked. And, yeah. And just, oh, yeah. And, and, then, and then talk with some of the people that were, you know, behind the scenes or who were there or, you know, starred on the show. That has to be just such a just – a, just a thrill that – I mean, we – many of us probably just don't really – understand because we're so used to the the bigger conventions with the bigger uh uh franchises or whatever oh yeah and especially when uh you know when i was uh i didn't actually until i met with the wonderfest i'd never actually met another space 1999 fan until then hmm. and really until i found the group on space on facebook i thought oh, they're getting, i wonder if it's hardly i wonder if there's any fans out there I love the show, but <laughs> yeah. Every now and again, you find them. I went to the uh, Denver Star Fest one year, and there was one couple that were dressed up in space and <laughs> fantastic. I mean, really, really well wow. space nineteen ninety nine uh, outfits. Uh, and the one actually did uh, makeup, so uh, for to look like Maya. Oh yeah. So she looked like a shapeshifter. Uh-huh. And their uniforms <laughs> nice. were their uniforms were incredible. They had uh, these replica com locks and blasters or, or guns. Stun, I don't know what they guns. called them. Stun guns. Yeah, just looked incredible. And you know, and there was I think a lot of people that were like, "Huh, I wonder what they are." But then there's a lot of other people that were like, "Oh my gosh, Space 1999! I've never seen anything. You know, <laughs> no one had ever seen a cosplay like that." And it was so cool. I've got a picture of them somewhere. I'm sure I'll have to dig it back up. Oh I mean, yeah, this yeah, was several that, years ago. I'd love to see that. And this this is funny. We were sitting in uh, like a room waiting for a Q and A to start, and all of a sudden you hear. Like the first season theme come up, mm-hmm. and so I say, okay, whose whose phone is ringing? 
<laughs> <laughs> and I admit, I, I, I have. I have that as my ringtone. I have the cobwalk beeps as my text as my text tone. <laughs> I, I'll admit that, that just because of the how cool the theme song kind of is, and it's so that it's 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 this weird kind of kitschy number. I contemplated use it as a as a ringtone before. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, so that that was uh, that was really cool, but that was it was. Just, I figured this was going to be probably, I don't know if I'll ever be in this area again. And obviously, you know, so I figured this could have been a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. So I snagged it. Glad I Yeah. Went. Oh, absolutely. I don't blame you. I do not blame you at all. And you had asked in the, uh, um, I'd seen, and one of your emails to me, you had, uh, uh, well, actually, I think, actually, I think it was, maybe it was on the podcast where you mentioned about, Space 99 could be a guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is uh, because uh, it, it's, one of those sh- it's one of those shows where, yeah, if you want to nitpick at it, you're not going to like it. Yeah. You know, if you're going to well, nitpick the science and whatever, you're, you're not going to like it. But it's one that if you like it, you love it. Ex- exactly. And, and that's kind of like defines what people would consider a guilty pleasure is you recognize it. And all you re- you recognize all the flaws, and you enjoy yeah. it anyway. Yeah, I mean you, uh-huh. you you acknowledge that it has its issues, but yeah, you there is so much more to it. It is you know it it is more than the sum of its parts. Yes, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I think I think it was a uh, it's more than the sum of its parts, and it was uh, they were try they were really trying to do something special. Absolutely, they were trying to do something epic, something special, and 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 the actors felt that way too. And they said that at the convention that that they felt they were doing something special, and they were really sad that it didn't continue. You know, for a lot of them, under the second season, and they didn't continue what they had built in mm-hmm. the first season into the second season. And it wasn't because oh, now I'm out of a job. It was because they wanted to continue to do something that they were working on that they thought was special. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, I honestly wonder if it was sort of something that was ahead of its time a little oh, bit. Yeah. Where you <laughs> really, honestly, in the 70s, Friedberger was probably right. You did need more of an action series to get people's attention. Yeah. And I think if it would happen, it probably would have had to have waited 20 years. You know, it probably... <laughs> It would have to go beyond when it was supposed to take place <laughs> uh, before yeah. you could really start telling that kind of story on television. Yeah, I think if they, uh, if in the first season they had a little more of, of some of what they injected in the second season with uh, when they had a little more action, a little more humor, but not a lot. And in mm-hmm. the second season, if they would have kept some of the some of the metaphysical stuff, the oh, we don't know why this is happening. Uh, feel in the second season, I think it would have gone on for several years. Yeah, maybe. Well, okay, I'll, let's let's kind of end with this final question, though. That, like I was saying, there's always little talk in the background about the idea of bringing this show back in some form. Do you think we will ever see a rebooted Space 1999 in some form? Probably not. Uh, no? The reason, I, the reason I say that is because uh, uh, uh a man named Chase Hall or Jace Hall, rather Jace Hall, who did the uh, reboot of V, 
um, mm-hmm. was was planning on this uh, several years ago. Called, it was going to be called Space 2099. They had a website up and uh, and uh, had concept, conceptual drawings and artwork and everything. And as a matter of fact, if you go to, I think it's Space2099TVSeries.com, it redirects to ITC. Uh, uh. Or it's an ITV. One of the two. Uh, okay. But, but, uh, but since then, the, the, the talk's been that there probably wouldn't be another attempt. But you never know. I mean, someone may decide that they that they want to do it. Now, the one thing that uh, that Jace said in, in something is that he felt that science fiction has lost the awe, the wonder, and the horror of space, of being out in space. Well, I won't. I won't argue with him. I, yeah, I, <laughs> and he wanted to capture that that feeling again that Space nineteen ninety nine had of that. Mm-hmm. And and there were there were some episodes that were had some uh, pretty dark uh, subjects in it. I mean, definitely not definitely not for kids. Some people say, "Oh, this was a, a series for kids." No, it was not. Maybe second season a little more, but first season there was some disturbing images for television of of mid nineteen seventies. Right. Uh, there was one that sticks in my mind, just real quick, I'll mention. I don't remember if it was first or second season, but they come across a ship of some kind. Oh, I'm trying to remember the premise. My gosh, it might have been the one with Christopher Lee. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But in the end, it, it was it was someone could go back in this ship mm-hmm. yeah. in like some sort of cryo sleep. Yeah, that was the one with Christopher Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And and, and and then there's some character who's a total jerk, and he insists yeah. that he's going to be gone, yep. and he ends up forcing his way on board of this thing, yep. and it launches, and then he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he thinks, he, oh, he should be at Earth now, and he's calling Earth, and he realizes he's only gone, you know, a few thousand miles or something. Yeah. But it's too far for Moonbase Alpha to be able to retrieve him. Yeah. So he sentenced himself to literally starving to death on this ship. And like that is a heck of an ending. That yeah. is dark and disturbing because it uh-huh. ends with him calling, begging for them to come yeah. get him. And they have to sit there and go, we can't. Yeah. yeah <laughs> There's was. nothing we can do. And they just kind of just have to turn off the comm. Yeah. That, that, wow. was, uh, that, was, that was a very chilling ending. To, to yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of right. one of these endings, though. It's kind of like, well, this guy was a jerk, so he sort of got his own comeuppance, but that's even a little rough for him. I mean, come on. Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. No, oh. that was me. Ah, call, yeah, call just dropped. Yeah. The, uh, my wireless, my, I've been having problems with my wireless extender. And uh, it decided it decided suddenly just wanted to stop. Ah, nice, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, so I'm actually on my phone right now. <laughs> oh well, you sound much better. All right. Oh uh, yeah. All right. So let me uh, make sure. Yep. Okay, we're recording again. We're fine. So anyway, I was just saying that was a really chilling episode, and that oh was, yeah, that was rough even for him. Yeah, the, and Roy uh, Dot who played Commissioner Simmons, this was a second time playing him, uh, did an amazing job in that scene. I mean, I. I, I actually played that scene for my wife, and she said, "Okay, I don't want to see that scene again." 
because I was, I was telling her how just real chilling it was when when he's uh, screaming, Xandor, help me, and he's banging on the uh, plexiglass uh, uh, enclosure there, and and you just know that he's going to die. That's where it's he's going to die. It's a slow, painful death. Uh-huh. It's going to be a slow, painful death. I mean, uh, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's just, I mean, it's horrifying. And then at the end of the episode, they even add to it, because the computer is supposed to select somebody mm-hmm. uh, who is going to go back. And so uh, Dr. Russell asked uh, Commander Koenig, who did the, who did the uh, computer finally choose? And he's got the paper in his hand. He says, Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he would have gone anyway. Right. And, uh, and the whole reason that happened was because he had, uh, the Caledonians had to make a mapping of the person who was going to go into cryosleep. Mm-hmm. And since he forced his way onto the ship, they didn't have a chance to do that. Oh, gotcha. I didn't remember that part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that was, yeah, that was a very dark ending to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yep. And, and then there was the dragon's domain where they encountered a monster that actually ate people. I mean, they'd be sucked into it. And then these smoldering corpses would come back out. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's TV of 75. They're doing this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. very, very, very adult uh, uh, series. Yeah, well, and despite the uh, you know the the corniness of some episodes that some people call it or whatever, uh, you know, it it still lives on you know through fans like yourself yep. and and part time fans like me, I guess. It's kind of yeah. one of these things that every now and again I'll get into just a wild hair. I'm like, yeah, I just feel like watching Space nineteen ninety nine, and I'll, yeah. I'll I'll watch an episode or something like that. But uh, yeah, just every now and again. And it's it's a it's a show that you know sticks with me from when I was a kid and watching it the first time. That even if I don't remember what the story was, there's you know the, there's images or scenes that have stuck with me uh, over the years that I just know that's where it, that's where it came from, and mm-hmm. it it just has that kind of effect. It just kind of keeps living on. And I'm honestly a little sad that of all the you know I've never been a big fan of the reboots and the whatever, but I'm actually kind of sad that this one. Yeah. might not get that chance because I think yeah. it'd be interesting to see what would happen, especially if it would kind of bring the original series a little bit more to the forefront and mm-hmm. what kind of response that would get from uh, audiences today. Yeah. Obviously, they would need to change the premise of how the moon leaves Earth's orbit. But Oh, sure, sure. But there's, there could be all kinds of different ways of... Of accomplishing that. Oh, you don't even even that. have to have it as the moon, really. I mean, if you really wanted to, they could be on an asteroid or something like that, which you, oh, could, that's true. you yeah. could definitely explain how an asteroid gets knocked out of its orbit and sent oh, flying yeah. off. Yeah. And there's tons of, you know, large enough asteroids to house some sort of base oh, and yeah. mining operation yeah. or something like that on. So. And the key would be that it'd be on something they couldn't control. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, Stargate Universe. Yeah, yeah, very much. That was a, that was a ship, but they couldn't control it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, never. I hadn't really thought about it. With Stargate yeah. Universe, maybe the closest thing we'll, we'll ever get to a Space 1999 reboot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could be, could be. Could be. Well, Floyd, I tell you what, thank you very much for coming on and sharing oh. your your well, Space 1999 knowledge and your, uh, your, your fun at the convention. Well, thanks for letting me talk about this series that I love dearly. I think uh, maybe I'll I'll have to 
dip back into the series again. Maybe every now and again we'll uh, we'll have you on and we'll just uh, we'll pick a, a episode or two and uh, kind of discuss it oh, or yeah. something like that. That might be kind of fun. That that, that yeah, that'd be cool, uh, especially to do it for both seasons. Like, oh man, this this episode really sucked, and you know, <laughs> like, oh, what was yeah, yeah, this this happened, that happened, that wasn't very good, and uh, and. Uh, and even the good one, and the good ones, you know, discuss those. And oh, I wonder why they did why why they didn't wonder why they didn't do this. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So we shall see. Uh, you know, watch this space. I guess uh, I think that is going to do it. I've kept you long enough tonight, Floyd. Thank you, but I I really appreciate you coming on. I know it was kind of a last My minute pleasure. thing. It was a little last minute, and I appreciate you kind of stepping in. Uh, no problem. I certainly want to thank all our listeners for listening. Obviously, since you're listeners, that makes sense. Got to find a better way. Got to find a better way of saying that. Uh, as always, for all those who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> as always, like I said earlier in the show, timeshifterspodcast at gmail dot com is the best way to get any feedback, suggestions, or comments to us. You can send that just as a typey typey email, or if you want to record an MP3, you can go ahead and send that through there as well. Join the Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, that I think that's it. Uh, Matt should be back with us in a couple weeks. And uh, we actually we were going to discuss, we actually figured out what we were going to discuss. We're actually going to discuss kind of TV shows that went to movies and vice versa, I think, a little bit. You kind of have to call both or talk about both sides of that coin. And, you know, what ones went right, what ones not so much. And I think, uh, you know, Matt and I have a couple differences of opinions on there, but so it should be a fun conversation. But until then, uh, we'll thank you again, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.